Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Nerd Herd Comic Book Club. Your number one stop for stellar reviews of volumes, arcs, or stories that us or yourselves choose. You can find us live every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, and the replay on all podcast networks. Take a seat, get yourselves and your opinions ready, as it's time to join the herd. But first, please put your hands together for your hosts, Shane, Phil, and Scott, as they kick off this week's discussion. Hello, welcome to what is sure to be another fun-packed episode of the Nerd Herd. Um, I'm speaking first, which is a good thing, because you're guaranteed a spectacular book. But the funny thing is, you know, as much as the stick I got from, from uh, what was that book, Shane? What was that, that book that Alex Ross done back in the day for DC? Kingdom Come. All the stick I got for Kingdom Come. I've picked two Alex Ross books in a row. <laughs> uh, so here we are. This week we have read and we will be discussing um, Marvel's from Marvel, 1994. Um, it was written by Kurt Busiek and art by Alex Ross and letters by Richard Starkings. Yeah, so that's that's what I've picked for this week. I am, of course, joined, as per usual, Shane. Oh, hoi, hoi. And it may as well as be per usual. I am joined by Martin this week. I even know. I was uh, Shane, as you know, is our, our stat guy. You like some stats, and he uh, informed me just before you came onto the backstage that this is your eighth episode you've joined us on the Nerd Herd. Yeah. So happy eighth anniversary, or whatever are you. <laughs> let's, let's keep them going. So, um, we have a few folks in the chat, and we'll get to them quickly before we dive into the book. Triple G Comics said, Now then, he was a big uh, fan of Kingdom Come, and I think he's a big fan of this. And he said, he didn't realize 1994. Didn't realize it was that old. How old were you then, Pete, in your 20s? <laughs> I shouldn't offend our chat. We love you, Pete. Please stay with us. And then we have Kevin saying, Hey, everybody, be Kevin. And that's that so far. Right. This uh, book, it's from the perspective of like the people on the ground. And it follows a journalist, a, sorry, a photographer turned writer turned and almost investigative journalist and uh he is obviously uh enamored by the marvels as he calls them um fascinated by them kind of dominates his life and he he's looking at it from the point where the people on the ground who are impacted by not just the kind of ground level heroes and villains but the kind of other worldly beings that come to destroy, try and destroy the world and uh looking at it from a way where people are obviously led with fear and obviously trust and belief in the heroes that saved them. And uh, yeah, it's all about him and how he, over the years, I, I, I doesn't say what it is, it spans a few years, because he starts off quite young and then obviously ends up a little older with children and so forth. So for 30 years, maybe, I'm not sure, uh, of him following the heroes and documenting everything and um, basically to show us, the reader, what it's like for the humans on the ground who don't know the ins and outs of what's actually going on there just happened to be there in new york buildings falling down cities being destroyed um and how the humans deal with that and how they cope with it and yeah that's pretty much that and um it's uh, drawn by alex ross wonderfully drawn by alex ross and uh, i'm sure we will gush over the art um no doubt so 
where did we start? I mean, for anyone not watching, uh, less than the podcast, uh, Marta's called himself Marvelous, and Shane has called himself Marvelous. So I don't know if that's a an indicator of how much he did not like the book. So we'll get the negative out of the way, shall we? We'll start with Shane. Shane, do you want to? Yeah, um, the name's not Marvel less because I think less of the book. It's because it was about the people that weren't Marvels. They were less Marvel. So it's a little play on words there. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the take from the perspective of people having no idea what's going on. You know, as a comic reader, we always follow the hero. So we know why Galactus shows up, why the Fantastic Four are fighting him, how they defeat him, so on. But the people have no idea. You know, this guy appears, the Fantastic Four fight him, they seem to lose, then they win, and then they hand off something to him and he leaves. And the people on the ground have no idea what's gone on. We do, because we read the comics, so we know exactly what happened. But to see it from that perspective is just so different and so, so human that I didn't know I wanted that in a book. Um, yeah. But I actually did. I thought this was fantastic. A, a great take on what you would do in a world if people showed up with godlike powers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no say in what they do. You can't stop them. You've got no prisons that can hold them. You have no say over what they do with those powers. And when they get into a battle, you run and hide. There's nothing you can do about it. And it just shows that so well through the perspective of one man you know, from his early 20s all the way up to his, I want to say, early 70s. Mm-hmm. I think it started off in 39, and it must end in the 80s some, at some point, yeah. uh, I think, when he retires. But I thought it was done so well. It just <laughs> really kept me the entire way through. It's like you're saying about um, like the people on the ground, just, they just don't know, because, like, one minute, the human torch is fighting Namor, or Namor, depends what way you want to go. And next thing, they're allies fighting Nazis, and then they're fighting again. And then he's like, but they don't know this. They just assume that he's oh, the hero now. And all of a sudden, no, he's not. He's a villain. Like, it's not like they've announced it on Twitter or anything. It's just like they just happen to know this change of allegiance whenever they, they're under attack or not under attack, but there when their attack's happening. And uh, yeah, again, from a human perspective, that was great. I really enjoyed that myself. Martin, what's your uh, first thoughts? I have, I'm sharing the same opinion as Shane, really. I, I found this is probably one of the most unique concepts I've read through my whole time of reading so far. To see it from this perspective of, 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 of us, you know, the human population, and to see these characters we've read and like loved on screen and in books um, from this angle, it was it was. I didn't, as I say, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but as you start working your way through the issues, you, yeah, you can't help but enjoy it and, and, and love that, that, that angle, sorry, mm-hmm. the angle it's coming from. Yeah, I, I think my name speaks for itself. It's a marvellous book, really was. Excellent. It's so clever as well because, um, you know, these things happen and you're only getting glimpses of them. You just get a fight scene here and there. You get a part of a fight scene or a bad guy showing up or Spider-Man swinging past Captain America jumping through traffic. You don't get the whole story because you wouldn't get the whole story. We get it as a reader, but they they never get it as a as just a person. But the thing that struck me the most was everything, 
all like 90% of everything was seen from ground level looking up. They were always looking up at mm -hmm. these things mm -hmm. happening. And the one time Phil goes to eye level with them, he loses an eye mm -hmm. to tell him that he's out of his element. He should be on the ground looking up at these gods. You know, he's not to face them. He's not to look them in the eye. He is to stay where he belongs. And he's punished the one time he steps out of his comfort zone. And I just thought, how powerful a message was that? Like, he's not allowed to look at them. He, he literally lost an eye because he decided to look them in the eye. How do you do that to your main character uh -huh. in book two? It was, oh, yeah, I just, I thought it was fantastic. The writing on this was top notch. Excellent. Um, Connie is joining us. She's in Sub Nerds. And uh, see, th this book, I thought uh, it wasn't a quick read. It wasn't overly long or dense either, but it wasn't quick. And Connie has managed to scrape this in within the last hour, I think. Uh, so well done, what? Connie. Yeah, she just used like 45 pages and they are heavily text. Yeah. <laughs> she messaged to say she got it done with a minute to spare, but maybe wow. didn't have enough time to appreciate the art. But that's a good segue because we did have time to appreciate the art. So what were your thoughts on the art? Shame, I know you're... But we, we're all Alex Ross fans, of course. But yeah, we, yeah. We, Shane, you definitely, um, you know, you've picked up Alex Ross again. Will you do the same for this? I mean, what's not to love? Um, I think, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's static because it's painted. And that makes perfect sense because it is very static. But I think because you're looking at it through, you're following this book through a photojournalist's eye, it makes sense that it's static because he would see everything mm. as photos as opposed to movement so i thought it worked really well in this but my gosh just everything looked fantastic when the characters would show up for their little cameos he just designed them all so well and oh i loved it the faces are just spot on every single time yeah uh, regarding that static thing like i've had that's the problem i've had with kingdom come that looked too static but as you just said I, that's not what i've actually written down that you're not looking at it from like you're part of the battle with the hero or the villain. You're looking at it from the photographer. You're looking at it from him. Almost, he's, he's narrating it, isn't he? He's just telling the reader what's happened, and here's a picture to show it. So, yes, it does look static still, but it fits far better than I think Kingdom Come did. And uh, that that was always my worry with Alex Ross. Like we've seen with Fantastic Four last month, that when it's not painted, it's a bit more dynamic. But it's just this, I think this worked a lot better, certainly for, for this story as well. And the, the, they've used the story to tell that, the art to show that part of the story as well. Um, Martin? I think, think? I think Alex Ross's artwork is flawless. There's no denying that. Um, but I think after reading this and reading Fantastic Four before, um, I think he's definitely more suited towards a shorter run. I, I love Kingdom Come, but... I do prefer the fact it's like five or six issues long is sort of enough for Alex Ross's because I'm paid to put a negative on it, but I feel like I'm a little bit Alex Ross run out now. Um, I, I love his, his covers. I love his covers, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think I could continuously read an ongoing series from Alex Ross. You'll be pleased to know that there is uh, no more Alex Ross picks. I don't, I don't believe anyway for the rest of this. Uh, season so we're all good i'm gonna yeah. pick i'm gonna pick justice just to get you to read 12 issues of course, of alex ross. <laughs> i was gonna say of course the herd's choice could easily pick an alex ross book um but if you're also alex ross out then just maybe wait till next season 
Um, <laughs> just touching something here that Connie had said, actually, my one critique of Alex Ross is that he makes every character look older than I feel they're supposed to be. But I think that's that he just prefers the classic look. You know, you like the hairstyles, like the kind of, you know, what, what's her name? Uh, Invisible Woman, Sue Storm. She keeps keeps everything classic, like from the 30s and 40s, and like where it's meant to be. Like it's not yeah. trying to be outrageous, whatever. And they do look older, but I mean, do you ever look back at pictures of people here our age from like the 70s? They look about 50 anyway. So like, oh. he, he's just trying yeah. to keep things for the time that their the story belongs. And I think he does that with both uh, publishers, DC and Marvel. I think they've all yeah, got that yeah. very traditional look about them mm-hmm. when he draws them. But there's certain characters I prefer he draws than others. There's there's some standout ones for me personally. I don't know about yourselves. I definitely think he's a Fantastic Four fan because he's done a lot of Fantastic Four yeah. covers. He's done also the Fantastic Four full circle and even like the timeless variants. He's done all the Fantastic Four characters uh, for the for this like single issue variant covers and stuff, and and he has he has kept them looking that classic look. So I, I'm guessing he's a Fantastic Four fan because for some I reason, think, like I think you can identify Alex Ross's art no problem with any character, but I definitely think you know for his Fantastic Four characters a lot more. Yeah, he keeps them in the sixties. He's he's frozen in time. Yeah. He's kept them as the sixties versions of themselves, and they look great. But his um, Galactus in this book, my God, was yeah. fantastic. It was almost my page pick, almost. There was just one page that tipped it out. Um, Connie, for only, only reading the book on Argo, has a lot to say today. <laughs> Sorry, that was the negative. We appreciate you. I like the Marvel Universe from an outsider perspective. I think Alex Ross is great at doing the in-between stories. Like Full Circle was like Fantastic Four on a Tuesday. This is humans living with heroes. 100%. And uh, she said the character she noticed the, the most, or noticed it with the most, was Wanda. She looked like a, almost like a middle-aged woman from her from the 50s. There's nothing wrong with middle-aged women from the 50s, but she'd had the big hair, didn't she? She did have that. Yeah. But that this is, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, this is following from like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So it shows their first appearance designs, and he kept all that going along. Hmm. Like that's what I think that's what he does. You know, he's a classic artist, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And he sticks to that. So he, he, it's not like he's doing it out of um, just trying to get people to enjoy his art, like to to, to pick his artwork. He's, he he goes with a style that suits him, and you appreciate what he delivers. And you can yeah, always, always pinpoint book, it. But throughout this book, you can tell what era they're in. Not only from the colours, as the colours get brighter, as it mm-hmm. leaves the 30s and becomes the 50s and the 60s, but the designs of the clothes, the characters, the faces, the hairstyles, everything changes. So you can pick a page and you know exactly what era, what decade you're in. Mm-hmm. So he, he is capable of doing other things, but he chooses to keep them in their classic designs. I, I noticed that a lot um, with Doris, his wife, because she changed. Obviously, the, the, all the characters got older, of course, but she changed her look changed a lot but still somehow stayed the same like you knew it was doors if you want to say like still stuck that kind of classic look but she obviously got older and slightly different hairstyle but still classic look at the same time and um yeah like i agree as the years got on it did get brighter and more vibrant 
and um, even the hero slightly changed. But um, yeah, like I can't fault the art. I think my only critique from from Kingdom Come was the static nature of it. Where I think this has drastically improved my opinion on it because I controversially I'm still thinking that you can love the Alex Ross art in a sequential story. However, I still think like it doesn't belong there or something. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's not your typical art for a comic book. It's just it's like too good to be sequential storytelling. Yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, that shouldn't be a negative it does. Yeah. Well, should stick to whatever pays the most money. Uh, so that's yeah. probably the book. But yes, uh I don't know. I just I just find I'm a fan, but for for sequential storytelling, I'm not too sure if it works entirely. But I love his art. Like it's that's not unquestionable. Um, I'm exactly the same way. I feel that way when I said I couldn't read an ongoing series from him, that's that's pretty much nailed the reason why. Th this size of his artwork is perfect for me. Yeah. See, now, for me, you could melt it on a spoon, put it in a syringe and inject it straight into my eyes every week and I would read a book by Alex Ross. <laughs> not going to lie, I just I love looking at his artwork. It makes me linger on a page longer than I do on any other artist. Because you yeah. just want to see all the detail because it's worth looking at everything. Even the reflections of things. Like there's a yeah. reflection on a car windscreen as Cap's jumping over the car. And it's just perfectly done. It's perfect in proportion. It's reflecting the exact part of Cap that it should be reflecting. Like the detail mm -hmm. he puts in is fantastic. And then um, there's another part where um, the Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer are fighting Galactus. And the Fantastic Four are reflected in Silver Surfer's board. And yeah. again, they're just reflected perfectly. It's like he thinks about everything. He's a true artist. Even when it comes not not even just reflections, but the, there was a page third for me as well where Silver Surfer was fighting Galactus himself, and he still had the glow from the fires and the flames and stuff. Like even though it's just the, like the lights changing, reflecting off him, people you don't have to do that. A lot of artists wouldn't think to do that, but he, he does, and he does think outside the box almost. Um. But I can only imagine the reason why he doesn't get that much um, work in terms of the, a comic book series because he's probably really expensive per page. Yes, I was going to say there. the same thing. They can't afford him. <laughs> they cannot afford him at all. He's, he's so much better than most other comic book artists that I just don't think they could afford him. Either DC or Marvel. So whenever they get him on board, it's it's it, you know like like a Fantastic Four full circle. That was his kind of. That was his baby type of thing. Hmm. And that was maybe him just trying to be get his art out, out there as opposed to here's a lump of money, do us a big please. Yeah. Um there was a point that Kevin made somewhere about his art, which I've kind of lost. Sorry, Kev. We'll find it again, I'm sure. Um oh, sorry, it wasn't Kev, it was, it was Triple D, sorry. He says he was also the go-to guy for redesigns at one point. He read it, redid Captain Marvel. Genesis and also Bucky's cap costume. Yeah, Bucky's cap costume needed redone because it's the he's with the original one he changed that was horrendous. Um, so that needed done. But yeah, I think like we'll just like you know was art. So even like the like the, the Bucky costume, he made a cameo appearance in this, didn't he? Bucky was in this, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. I don't like that costume, that old school Bucky one from like the thirties and forties, whatever. It looks horrible, but it's still look like, good in this. It was Alex Ross. 
Yeah. But um, we've talked about the art. We're 20 minutes in. Let's get to the pages then, shall we? Um, and we haven't been sent that many. That is because 16 of you guys have sent us the same page. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into this. Um, yeah, true. And that page is actually the one Shane picked, I believe. Let's just see. Great minds. Go ahead, Shane. Do you want to uh, get us started there? And I will find some more people's reasons. All right, well, first off, I mean, black and red are my favorite. It's my favorite color scheme. Um, so this page popped instantly. And the X-Men showing up was just... Obviously, I knew it was coming. It wasn't a surprise. But um, I just thought it was fantastic. They show up. They're instantly um, attacked and bombarded by the people on the ground who love the marvels for some reason but the x-men oh no we can't we can't praise the x-men because they're going to replace us they're dirty muties and you know down with mutie kind and all that and it was just like it was just so it's tragic because you know you know the x-men but looking from this side where you're following phil where he doesn't know anything he doesn't know who they are he is just going with the crowd he is literally in mob mentality mode that's it and he picks a brick up and he throws it and he hits Iceman, and he doesn't know why he did it he he regrets doing it but he did it because the crowd riled him up and i thought this is what people are like when something different shows up and it, it's true and i it's just the X-Men are just as relevant today as they were back then. Yeah. Um, so you weren't the only one. So Pete sent this in. Connie sent this as well. Um, <laughs> as did Kev. But Kev's not going to give us reasons. He said, I thought framing the X-Men as monsters in this page really worked well. And the red palette uh, really helps us uh, buy into the crowd's fear. Which is true. Definitely. And, and add that fear to it. This is the time where obviously mutants were... Like they cast like they were they were fearful of these people, but this is like during the time of the Cold War and just after World War Two, and like the general population, they were quite afraid of things like this. Um, so yeah, but this is a really cool page, and again, the red is the red only common from Cyclops, or yeah. is that yeah? It's really cool. Love this page, and I didn't pick it. Great not, not, there were so many to pick from. I didn't pick this because there were so many of you guys that picked this. <laughs> Um, who do I go with next? I'll go with mine because mine's quite simple. The reason I picked this, they're all really good pages, but I just think this is really classic and also really funny. Like the fact that the, it's it's the uh, the Sue Storm, Mister Fantastic wedding, and you have the heroes showing up in their costumes. Like I get obviously because at this point I don't think they know Iron Man's Tony Stark. They can't just show up in the tux, being Iron Man and so forth. So they obviously had secret identities and the, the press is all over it. I just find it really strange that they're just sitting there, Captain Marigus sitting there with his shield, my dad as well, you know. And um, I just liked, I just thought it was a really cool page. Um, and you've got the thing sitting there shedding a tear. You've got the reflection of the light and the, the, the lights of the cameras and so forth. I just thought it was a really cool, cool image. Yeah. It's nice page. It is. Yeah. But I again, like Mr. Fantastic could have worn a tux, though, couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He could have done, could have made an effort. Um, <laughs> but um, actually thinking, yeah, no, I, I love that. You could pick any page, any any page whatsoever, because it's all really good. Um, Martin, we'll go with you next. 
I picked this page mainly because I love this whole fight scene with Galactus, but also because the Silver Surfer is one of my favourite characters that Alex Ross draws, yep. which we touched on before. Um, I just this was like the the back end of the fight, if I remember rightly. And I think I was zoomed in on this page, and you can see the Fantastic Four on the building as well. Mm-hmm. With them, it's just, I just, it's a page that just resonated with me, even when I got to the end of the book. Just yeah. thought it was a really good one. See, I almost picked this myself again for the drama it's telling as well. Like, say, even mm. the Fantastic Four, you can see in the rooftop, they're very small. They don't really need to be there. But he's obviously thinking bigger picture. It's a battle in New York with the Fantastic Four. He needs to have them somewhere, even if it is really small. And the fact that you have people there on top of them, that other building, um, trying to get a closer look, you may watch it and lose an eye. As poor Phil <laughs> experienced. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just really cool, really dramatic, but really lovely drawn. It's a fantastic page. Good pick. Um, Scott, who I should say, obviously, if you can't tell already, hasn't <laughs> joined us this week. I didn't even mention that. Uh, could join us this week, but he has on the page. And this is his. And he has said, uh, My reason for it is I love the drama and the action of it all. The static nature of the rocks floating in the background against the fluid movements of Silver Surfer and Human Torch fighting in the foreground. But yeah. Um, it's that, What I found strange, in a, in a good way, is how well he drew the Human Torch. Like, you think it's fire. You don't need to do things that well. But it looks the best version of the Human Torch I've probably ever seen, in fairness. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I also love is that the things happen that we just never get an explanation for the sky that turns to fire and then the rocks and yeah and we never find out why what happened who sorted yeah. it out you know I just I love that aspect of this book it was just such a interesting way to do it because if we were following the human torch we'd found out exactly what happened how Reed stopped it you know how they got everybody back to normal but no no answers we just move on to the next day where something else happens with someone else I just, I really, really, really wish I had no prior knowledge of the Marvel Universe and I read this book because then you'd get the full force of it. You know, you'd, mm. you, because you're reading it and you're like, oh, that's from this storyline and oh, that, oh, the ultimate nullifier. You're like, oh, that's clever. And then you're like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. I wish I didn't know anything going in. I wish I had, if like, if you could find someone who has no prior knowledge of the Marvel Universe, get them to read this book because I would love to see their reaction. Well, that's kind of why I was hoping Scott would be here this week because I, I mean, I he's he's a he's our residential new business, I suppose. Like, you know, four years in, he's still kind of new to comics. I, I doubt very much he's read like the Invader storyline with Namor and Human Torch and Captain America, which obviously played a part here. I don't think he's read too much X Men, so I think all those storylines in this book would be relatively new to him. Yeah, he would, he would know the characters, but they would be new. I have to say that's me. I, my my history comes more on DC side of things, so Marvel is new territory for me these past couple of years. I've read no X Men, so this was all very surreal for me. Um, yeah, I didn't. It, it left a lot up for interpretation. You know, the great thing is with ev- oh. <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> The great thing is as well, like every single time a hero or villain showed up, that's from a storyline. So you can go back and mm-hmm. you could read that if you wanted. 
Yeah. He took from every single storyline and just gave us what he thinks people on the ground would have seen from that encounter. It's fantastic. Um, I just want to revisit my page because I've picked this and all, but Kevin says the Beatles are here. Please tell me they are. Where's the are Beatles? They? It does. At the back to the yeah. left? It Possibly. Could be. Is that maybe John Lennon there to kind of back to the right-hand side? I don't know. See the kind I of can see Doctor class? Strange. That's the first time I've seen him in the book. <laughs> Didn't notice um, him there I... before. Please, please yeah. hopefully the Beatles are there. That would be excellent. Of course, at this point, this is the thing. This is the part of the story is that the, they kind of built up the Marvels, certainly the Fantastic Four, to be celebrities, like bigger than celebrities. They weren't, you know, they, they of course, the celebrities' name, the actress's name was at the wedding. Is it Lauren Bacall? Like they had, like, they they built these guys up to be the, the celebrities of today. These would be the influencers, the, the TikTokers, the whatever. That's, that's what they would be in today's oh, life. Don't say that because that's who they'll be when Marvel bring out a bloody movie now, won't it? Oh, you've just given them the idea. Yeah. Kevin Feige is going to run with that. <laughs> he already has. Did isn't that was she Hulk? That's right. Yes, that's the she did. You did. We don't talk about She Hulk on this show, Martin. I, thank you very much. That's all right. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I actually enjoyed She-Hulk to next to next day, but we're not here talking about She-Hulk. Um, yeah, like obviously touched on it, the fact that these things were happening next to the sky. The, the, the sky was on fire, and it wasn't just New York; it was the world. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know what story that was from, but you're just assuming the Avengers or something or whatever. Something's happened somewhere, but as the reader reading the person on the ground, they don't know this stuff, and. Mm -hmm. The news reports, the television reports, the radio reports—they played a really good part in trying to like speculate, They're trying to inform the people, but not really giving us anything. And then obviously watching everyone react to it, um, and going into bunkers and whatever else. And you know, even what comes towards the, the end of the book, where uh, Phil's walking back home to his family, he realizes like I shouldn't be here. I need to go back to my family because this could be the end. And the streets are empty. Um, because this, if these things are happening, what are you going to do? Like, you, you know, there's no looting because there's no point. You, you're thinking to yourself, this is the end. The world's going to implode. This is the end of life. I'm going to go back and spend the last half hour of my family before we all go. And um, like, that's what this book is for me. It's just, it's, it's, it's how people react to the scenario. That's really cool. Yeah. And it starts with wonder and intrigue because these things have appeared that have powers. What are they? Where did it come from? Then it turns into suspicion and mistrust. And then it comes full circle and then they're amazing and we love them and they're fantastic and they can do no wrong to, oh, they do make mistakes. They're not always gonna save the day. Mm -hmm. I guess I just carry on with my life then. I guess I don't rely on them and I guess I don't run from them. You know, he has this entire journey throughout the book and the final, the final page, I did give a little chuckle where he just wants a normal picture, but then he yeah. takes it with a future Ghost Rider. Yeah, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants a nice normal picture, and he's like, "Come on, you you look like a normal boy. Come and take a picture with me." And I was like, "Oh, he's going to be a Ghost Rider when he grows yeah. up." <laughs> What's your name, Danny Ketch? And <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the thing is, too, like, he, he himself he threw a rock and hit one of the X-Men, I can't remember which one he hit, but Ice he hit Man. one of them. Hit Iceman, yeah. 
So he played his part in that fear. And it's only with him being a photographer, and he, if he said in the book, like, he, I, I'm a journalist, I don't get involved in it, I, I sit back and observe. Once he sat back and observed, he got a better perspective himself, it's like, this is nonsense. And even the idea where he was um, trying to investigate the, uh, uh, what's oh, the Stacy murder, what's the police captain, Stacy? Um, yeah. Yep. He's investigating that, just to try and like, you know, clear Spider-Man essentially, hmm. and he's interviewing people, and they're adamant. The people he's interviewing are adamant over Spider-Man, but I think they're almost like uh, influenced by the papers, and obviously influenced by J. Jonah Jameson. Like they're saying things that would, yes, Spider-Man done it, but are you? Do you mean that? Or are you just reading the papers they're, and reading the yeah, stories? And like, then you're oh, well, he had to have done it. Yeah, he had to have done it. They were saying like, wait, it had to be him. Why exactly. did it have to be him? He was fighting a supervillain. Why did it have to be Spider-Man? Because J. Jonah Jameson said it was him. And J. Jonah Jameson runs a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And you have to trust the newspaper because it tells you the truth. And then when he talks to J. Jonah and he's like, yeah, you know, like, why are you like this with Spider-Man? And he's like, someone has to keep them in line. He's like, they, they can't be allowed to do what they do. He's like, because then what does that make us? We're yeah. irrelevant. And it's like, it just shows you just what a small little man can do with just a little bit of power how he can turn a hero into a villain mm-hmm. in a day it added a just real off. sense of realism and how the real world can affect these subject matters you know the power of the media mm-hmm. yep. um you know it's just even with the facts on the table with that scenario with captain stacy he proved in the book that the like, what was it that got knocked off like a pillar that hit him and was knocked yep. off by a metallic by a metallic object that was ignored yeah. the he spoke to the police Spider-Man. and straight away they were like we don't we know it wasn't spider-man we just want to talk to him so then j jonah jameson had this information and decided not to print it so if you get your news from one source this is what happens you know these people weren't willing to read another newspaper that said spider-man didn't do it because they all read the daily bugle mm-hmm. and it was like it's like, what do you do in a world like that where Monday they tell you Spider-Man's a villain, Tuesday they tell you Namor's a good guy, Wednesday Namor attacks the attacks the city and you don't run and hide because yesterday they told you he was a hero. It's like, it's uh, it was so cleverly done. As you're yeah. reading it, you're just like, this is terrifying what you can do with a single newspaper. And they add another layer under that from Phil Sheldon's perspective. Is the fact that he disliked Peter Parker, but loves Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. But the reason he disliked Spider-Man is uh, Peter Parker is because he was he came into that office and he said, that. "I've got a picture of Spider-Man. He looks really bad in this." And he's like, yeah. "Way to be objective." Yeah. He is like, "That's not what we do. We take pictures. We don't tell you what's in the picture. You see the picture." And I thought you he, that was a real photojournalist. And yes, you know, Peter's just, we know what Peter's doing. He's just trying Mm. to make money and stuff. But we know that. He doesn't know Peter Parker is Spider-Man and has to do what he's doing. He just sees this young kid come in and just, I've got these terrible pictures. He's pictures of Spider-Man and he looks terrible. And to him, that disgusted him because he's a true photojournalist. And I just thought, this is is a character that you can't help but follow and just hope and pray that he makes it to the end of issue four. (laughs) Because I was really 
dreading issue four because I'm like, they're going to kill him. I'm like, he's going to he's going to get his book out and he's going to have a building fall on him. He's going to expect the Fantastic Four to save him and they're going to miss or something like that. I was so dreading it and I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm so glad he, he survived the book. I, I, it was a nice ending. Yeah, I it kind was. of thought I was heading towards that way myself. If something was going to, if maybe they didn't, he didn't perish himself, but they, they would have a near death. Uh, maybe die saving someone, you know. So then, and then the paper, then the next morning's paper would be, um, hero photographer saves child or something like that. So that he would, or marvelous photographer saves child. So he gets to be a marvel at the end. Like that would have been a nice way to end the book. As as we do every week here, uh, Shane makes a rewrite <laughs> of other stories. That would have been cool. But I, I still like the idea that he just kind of decided himself that he's in it now. He he can't he can't observe observe things he, the way he did back in, when he was young because he's now involved in it. He sees things in a different way, and he he comes that realization and obviously hands the camera to uh, you know that girl's name. What's her name? Mar Marcia, Marcia, Mar 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 yeah. And just as like, you're young, you're not as, as entwined as I am into this kind of world. You can see things differently, go with it. And I quite like that as well, the way he, he's not out of it. And he'll just forever, you know, rake his money in with his book, Marvels. And uh, yeah, we enjoyed that. I think the reason he steps back is Gwen Stacy's death. That that, yeah. that hit yeah. too close to home for him. Mm -hmm. He was he always expected like by this point in his career, the Marvels to him were on another level. They always came and saved the day. You didn't have to rush to a bunker because they mm -hmm. were gonna sort it out. And if it wasn't something they could sort out, a bunker wasn't gonna save you anyway. So, you know, it was swings and roundabouts. And then when he discovers that they can't always save everyone, and especially someone he knew for what nearly a week, he was talking to Gwen Stacy, wasn't he? Going yeah. around every day, talking to her, getting to know her, and they became friends. And he found this innocence and purity in her when Namor was attacking the city. And she wasn't afraid, she was in wonder, and she was amazed at the beauty that this marvel was creating over the city and he saw them through a new lens and that's the moment that he decided that they could do no wrong they were going to save the day and they were always right and everything was going to be fine and then spider-man tries to save her and he fails and then it just turns again and he's just like i'm done with this i i love that you brought this up because before we went live um you brought up spider-man blue and the point where you were cheering on Green Goblin. <laughs> what was this? You wanted her flat like a pancake or something or whatever the phrase you used? Well, I said she was the practice girlfriend, weren't she? Like a pancake. The first one always gets ruined and then the second one comes out all right. And the second one is uh, Mary Jane. So she was the first pancake. But so yeah, I, I did say this did what Blue couldn't do. This made me care about Gwen Stacy. Um, I, in Blue, I knew it was coming. I knew she was going to die. I didn't care. In this, I knew it was coming, and I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to see it because and, I saw Gwen Stacy through the eyes of a normal person yeah, rather than a super person. And to be fair, it was quite quick. Like she was only in for a few, what, a few, like five pages or something or whatever it was before yeah. she actually died. And so to do that in quite a quick way, like, like as you said, you know what's coming. They're obviously touching on some of the more iconic storylines in Marvel. That was always going to play its part, and. Um, 
the fact that she was in for five or so pages and you did care about that that's 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 some good going that's some good storytelling then so it really was yeah it just I think completely done, changed the storytelling in this whole book was just on another level another level really wasn't it because you think about it there's only really four issues issue zero was nothing to do with the main story mm-hmm. and the sheer volume of story arcs context references characters that were given to us and it didn't feel like you were choking on it it didn't feel like it was bottlenecking at all it felt like it was very well delivered to us you know it was phenomenal it was a really good book you know yeah yeah, like yeah I, every- I, I, did, I feel like there was a lot going on from start to finish like I said, we had some Luke Cage stuff. We had also Captain America, Thor, Black Panther, Namor. Like, there was a lot of stuff that was happening. And yeah, there was some. Like the last issue was more Spider-Man kind of related. They obviously had the X-Men more related book, and then the, the first one was Namor and Human Torch, and then obviously Fantastic Four. So there were certain characters and stories dominated the overall book, yeah. but they still fit a lot in, yeah. and it didn't feel overwhelming. It was written in a way that, you know, he's a journalist. Um, he's in the newsroom, they're getting phone calls to go somewhere. It felt that urgent through from start to finish. Sorry, after the year zero or the number zero issue, from number one to four, it's, it felt like there was a lot of urgency, but in a good way. Yeah, issue zero was out of place. Um, I think I mentioned it beforehand. Um, it's from the perspective of the Human Torch, uh, the original mm-hmm. Human Torch, not Johnny Storm, the 1930s version. So it's from his perspective of him being created, being um, buried alive until he re- gets released and so it was from the perspective of a marvel which made no sense because once you get to issue one it's not from the perspective of a marvel it's from the perspective of a human so why did they do that for issue zero why wasn't it from the perspective of the human torch's creator who would have been a human mm-hmm. it, i just i it I seemed think, very out of place i think it you're right with the perspective from the from the hero or well the the meta human or whatever you want to call them but the fact that Ishii one obviously kicked off whenever he escaped his you know uh whatever it was his pod whatever and he's obviously in the street and they're the, the, the people are kind of screaming and running away then all of a sudden phil sheldon runs in what's going on type of thing well no issue one starts before that because phil goes to the exhibit where we see him first ignite and everyone goes oh it's a mannequin doused in kerosene and he's the only one that sees it move and then realizes that it's alive so That's we, right, get, because we the, get issue the, zero again from phil's perspective yeah because yeah, it was the it was the uh the media essentially that made uh, the dad or whatever put him in the ground essentially you know we'll get rid of yeah. him or we'll make it get rid of him but then obviously it picks up from him in the street you know from where issue one ended and i think they kind of almost needed to include that uh, issue zero to kind of i think if i start off from issue one without the issue zero i think we'll miss something if you want to say like we but that's the whole point it. of this book is that we're supposed to miss we're supposed to miss the perspective of the marvels so we should have had no issue zero we shouldn't have had the backstory there was no need for it we didn't get a backstory for any other character it i think just... connie might have nailed it a little bit in the comment the comments there Maybe to humanize the Marvels at all. Yeah, but then because... that would go counterproductive to what you're doing with the first issue because you don't want to humanize them. You want to follow them from Phil's perspective, where he's putting them up on a pedestal because they're they're not human. 
It was just but such then, a weird thing to do. It, it was quite mm. weird, but just kind of touching on Connie saying this, that the human torch obviously didn't know what he was until he was at the sense that he did. Obviously, the time he was in that kind of, was, was it cement or concrete or something? The concrete pod or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, the airtight yeah. container. Like, obviously, he's there for a long time. He wanted to think about and it kind of made him think about, you know, is he human or is he not? What, what he really is. So I think there's something on that. Connie's saying, however, I agree with Shane too. It's the, the, the kind of the theme of the rest of the book was that these are other beings that are just doing things above humans can do. And they're, they, you know, as J. Joe and Jameson said, they almost have this fear that they're better than us. What happens to us after they take over? Like the X Men, they're the future of us type of thing, will be irrelevant and um, help spread that fear. So, yeah. It is in a place, but uh, it was okay. It was fine. But there was no mention of what happened to him either. Like, there was no newspaper article saying, you know, the human torch has gone missing. Um, That's the thing. That they... Missing for 20 years, and then a new one shows up. Mm. You know, the Fantastic Four turn up, and Johnny Storm takes the name of the human torch. There, there, was, the... there should have been a newspaper spread, the new human torch. That's the thing. I, I don't think the, the people on the ground knew that. They... They probably just think the human torch is the same human torch from the original ones. Because again, there's no announcement on Twitter. No one's you know like <laughs> not they're not yet getting their information as quickly as we would today. So I don't think that people thought that it's a new human torch. It's just the same one from before who's joined the Fantastic Four. Um, but I'm not a big Fantastic Four fan. I don't know. Do they know like Johnny Storm? Do they know who it is and so so forth? I don't know. Don't know if he has an identity, a secret identity or not. So no, everyone knows who the Fantastic Four are. They're America's it's number one family, aren't they? What publicized, aren't they? They're a publicized family. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So they would have known that Johnny Storm is only like eighteen years old, so he couldn't possibly mm. have been the Human Torch in nineteen thirty nine. Yeah. And the thing is, even though that issue felt very disjointed, I really enjoyed it. It was written yeah. from the perspective of like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, that's what made me enjoy that issue zero. It did confuse me when we got to the end of it, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, You're right. Um, it, it's well written and it's well done. There's no denying that. It's just as soon as you get to issue one and it does a complete 180, and it's like, well, we're not following the Marvels anymore, we're following humans now, so don't get used to that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it was just like you just hit the brakes, you gave me what I should expect the rest of the story to be. Like mm. you follow, you you expect you're following the Human Torch for issue one, then Namor for issue two, then Silver Surfer for issue three. But mm. you know, nope, nope, we're following humans now. Kevin is dropping some knowledge bombs. He says he well, he thinks the, the original Human Torch's body is used to become the Vision. I didn't know that. That's good. No, no, no. Okay. She, I, she thought the, I thought the Vision's body was created from an Ultron body. You're with, just thinking of with Mister with um, Wonder Man's consciousness. Uh, it's very confusing. <laughs> um, Connie's saying it felt like an odd choice to include, but maybe it was to educate people that the Human Torch has actually been many different people. Um, do you mean like educate the reader or the people in the story? Because um, he would have been the first one, I suppose, wouldn't he? The first. You know, hero or villain or whatever that they encountered isn't that right that that could mm. be it actually yeah it, it was could, 1939 yeah. it could be just a brief introduction into their first experience of dealing with a marvel mm -hmm. 
you know, their first way of interacting with it, how they treated it. Obviously, same with like Frankenstein's monster. It's something not normal. So what do we do? We try and destroy it, shut it away. It's mm-hmm. maybe that's the introduction they wanted to go for. And as time progressed, as the book went on, they become more accepted, more liked, except for the mutants, obviously. Mm-hmm. But because that did grow through the book. But the start, yeah. they didn't really like them, and then all of a sudden, we had this transition where they were cheering for them and they were happy for them, especially with Namor yeah. on the more. They they, they they called them our boys, didn't they? Whenever they were going to like fight over in Germany and over in Europe, they called them our boys. That's it. And then and then next page, Namor isn't one of the boys. He's uh, an enemy. Um, yeah, he flip flopped a lot in this book, didn't he, Namor? Yeah, but like, I. I don't know much about Namor's character, but I get the impression he does flip flop a lot. Like even like the more recent Black Panther movie, he was a villain. Uh, but he, he's one of those ones that he's a villain to like the normal world, but to his people, he's obviously the hero. You know. Yeah. Uh, did anyone think when you first saw him and they said he oh he's kidnapping a woman and in bandages? Did anyone think that was Sue Storm and the bandages were because she was invisible? No, like, no. I didn't. No, because I thought, oh, you know, the Namor and the Fantastic Four, he's obsessed with Sue. He kidnaps Sue quite often. So I was like, oh, it's got to be Sue. The Fantastic Four have got to be around. I thought, oh, she's wearing bandages on her arms and legs because she's invisible. But no, it's just some random thing. Again, you don't get answers to anything in this yeah. book, which which can be quite annoying. But I weirdly yeah, because... enjoyed it because I didn't care about any of that stuff. I cared about Phil. It's part of his charm. Isn't it? That's, I, think, I think that's just one of the things this, this book nails. As you say, you know more because you've read them. For someone like me, I read it and think, oh, I'd like to know more about that. It's that little bit of charm the book's got that it touches upon it, but touches upon it enough that leaves you either knowing what happened or wanting to know more. Yeah, and you could always go back. Like I say, any one of those stories will be in a story arc somewhere. That, that's, the, that's the thing like I, i'm assuming that girl in the bandages is very relevant to that story at that time but again if you're aware of that story you've read it then you know or like if you're a noob and haven't read it you don't really know but you don't need to know because again from the perspective of the people on the ground so if you've read that, that fantastic four or sorry that, that name or story which i'm assuming it's a fantastic four related story or an invader story um let us know is that girl in the bandages is she relevant? Is she is she Sue Storm? Um, but yeah. Um, is there anything other points kind of want to raise? I mean, we're we're at the fifty minute mark, so with our final points out before we go into scores and so forth. Yeah, I have one. How heartbreaking was that little mutant girl? Oh, uh, Maggie. Oh. Maggie was her name. Yeah. Oh. And again, it's heartbreaking because you you don't know what happened. You've no idea. No. But it's when she says, I was hungry and mum and dad sent me away because I I was like, like, stop, stop reading, stop reading, my heart hurts. (laughs) And then when she wrote the note to him when she left because she didn't want the family to get hurt and there were spelling mistakes in it. And I was like, oh my God, she's so adorable. Took some food. food. Thank you for the clothes. Yeah. Oh my God. Again, that that is one of the. I suppose the frustrating things with this book is you don't know, we don't know what happened mm-hmm. with her, and you kind of want to know again. Kevin or, or Pete, like if you've read these kind of stories, is is that something? Who, like who is Maggie? Yeah. 
Maggie if there's Maggie. one thing I want to know in the book, and it, it's Maggie, it's what happened to Maggie. Mm. As long as it's something good. I mean, if anything bad happens to her, I don't want to know. Don't tell Just me. Just lie and say you've never read it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm assuming it's obviously part of the X-Men, obviously, but I just... I've never heard of this. I don't know who Maggie is, but I just you're Maybe right. She's now with the Molochs or something underground, like mm. because she didn't look exactly human, did she? So no. she like she had big, big eyes, and but she was adorable. But Connie, like he... Connie oh. is googling. Shall we? Shall we spoil it? She says, "I googled it. She's alive." That's good. good. <laughs> um, she's also dropping some knowledge bombs herself. Uh, did you all know that Namor's last name is apparently Mackenzie? Namor hmm. Mackenzie. Did you know that Namor's name backwards is Roman? <laughs> if we're just spitting out facts. <laughs> <laughs> That's how creative Marvel were back in the day. They took the word Roman, looked in a mirror and went, Namor, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> That's worked. It's got a film out of it, isn't it? <laughs> just on that film, by the way, with, with, with people are coming out of the cinema confused when his name's Namor. He calls himself Namor, but the other characters, not Black Panther, maybe call them Namor, or not Namor, Namor. They call them. Yeah. I mean, the Fantastic Four called him Namor in the cartoon, like because obviously the cartoons are the only times I've ever heard them spoken. Otherwise, it's in the comic. Mm -hmm. But in the Fantastic Four cartoon, they say Namor, the Submariner. Is this another Constantine Constantine situation? (laughs) But. I've heard people also call, refer to him as the, the Submariner, not the Submariner. The Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's a, he, he's not the Submariner. He's a, I can't even say it myself. I've got lost. Submariner. <laughs> the Submariner. Yeah, yeah. Not the Submariner. But they, they oh, referred, they, they, they mentioned that in this book, they, they spelt it. Like, I can't remember what, what scene it was, but they spelt it sub. Uh, Submariner, but like R E N E R type of thing. So I don't know if that was just like a, like a like a you know a nod to the fact that people get this wrong all the time. You know, probably a little Easter egg there for yeah. for a laugh. I think Kevin mentioned somewhere in the chat previously that he was looking at the, at the backgrounds of images trying to find other kind of like nods to like some heroes and and rock stars. I think he said as well um, that was included in. Uh, it probably was. I, I just didn't notice it myself, but uh, yeah. I think we're anything else you want to bring up, Shane Martin? No, nope. no. we touched upon it quite a lot. Nice. Um, it's one of those books I think I almost feel like you need to read it a few different times, uh, and you'll probably figure something new each time because there was a lot happening in it, um, in my opinion. But we'll get to our final thoughts and scores and get to our verdicts and see where we at, we are at with it and where it falls on the all important leaderboard. So if you have read along this week, or if you just haven't read along but you've read the book before, you might give us a score in the chat. Uh, let us know what you thought. Give us your final score. We will add that up, clean it with ours, and see where it comes. Um, Martin, since you're a guest this week again, do you want to go ahead and give us your... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I go back to the first thing I said when we started. This is probably one of the most unique concepts I've, I've read since reading comics. Um, I love the the angle that they chose from a human perspective, which we discussed. Um, Alex Ross's artwork is just phenomenal across the board. I don't think anyone can pick any holes in it. Um, it's just, just great. Um, talking about this more has made me 
appreciate it more than what I did reading it. I do want to read it again to take that little bit of extra time to try and pick up on some of these little notes and maybe try and notice some of these references that we've been discussing of different stories. Maybe try and read the source material to know a bit more. I'm going to say, so far, of all the Alex Ross books I've read, this is definitely one of the better ones out of the ones three we've read. So I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Nice. Nice. Uh, So far, no one in the chat gives their score. Please, please, please give us a score. Shane, (laughs) do you want to go ahead and give us your thoughts? Yeah, I I love this. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Like I said, the whole thing about what does man do when God is fighting? Like, you know, this is what this book is. What can you do? You know, they try to come up with special watertight um, bunkers to save themselves from Namor at the beginning. They were that desperate to get away from these people. I just thought it was fantastic. Just you're following this guy who has this complete epiphany throughout the book that you have with him you know you you're enjoying this journey with him from the 30s all the way up to I, I think it stops in the 80s I'm not too sure but it was just done so well being an outsider looking in at this I I just really really wish I had read this when I started reading comics so I had no prior knowledge of the Marvel Universe I think I would have enjoyed it slightly more because when I was seeing these things I was naming them and I kind of, I knew more than Phil and I don't think that's fair I wanted to know what Phil knew as we were going along because it was just so well written. Um, I love the art. I'm not going to fault the art. There's nothing I can ever fault in Alex Ross's art. I think that would be a challenge next time we do an Alex Ross um, book is pick pick the worst page rather than our favourite page because that will be harder to do. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I will look into probably getting some form of trade for this or maybe even going back and seeing if i can get the individual issues because i really really like this um i'm going to give this an 8.5 thanks very good very very good um all right i think uh we've got some scores in the chat connie has said i'm going to give it an 8.5 interesting concept cool art nice read but i think it'll probably be better in a physical book than digitally i'd say so too uh, a nice big oversized as well. Uh, Kevin has said, make mine, oh, should we click on these? <laughs> make mine Marvels. It's a nine for me. Great art, great story, and a great love letter to the original Marvel comics. Oh, that's a nine. Um, Helen just popped in to say hello. I'm watching the rewind, but sounds like we enjoyed it. I think we did. Uh, so that is a nine from Kevin, an 8.5 uh, from Connie, an 8 from Martin. Um, Somebody else gave us an eight. I can't remember who it was. How it would. Liam gave an eight. And uh, Peter, this is before, obviously they're not in the chat. Uh, Liam could make it tonight. And Peter, who is in and out of the chat, has given me a 9.5 out of 10. But he was nice. one that uh, did not want us to diss uh, <laughs> this book at all. And he was quite um, quite adamant that, that we wanted to like, you know, say anything negative about this book. But my score is going to kind of reflect, I think, the same as Shane and, and Scott. Like, it's an 8.5 for me because I love the art. I My issue with this book is I think there's movement on that score overall with a reread. 
I kind of want to go back and read it again, spend a bit more time on it. And as Shane had said, maybe look into some of the other storylines, look at the things that kind of happened as well to kind of pick that up on. And it, it's made me want to do that. The art you cannot fault at all. Um, I actually think this art was an improvement in Kingdom Come because of the fact that while it's static in nature, it's like it's almost meant to be because it's it's Phil Sheldon telling the story of these heroes. Like you're not you're not listening to the Green Goblin or Human Torch or Silver Surfer communicate one another in their fight and their battles. You're just literally watching from the ground upwards and you're watching these fights and these things happening and so the static nature fits in really well. So the art is better than Kingdom Come in my opinion. Um the story again, it's quite unique to me. I, I'm sure that's been done before in other books, but I, I don't think like this. Certainly nothing I've read it's like this. And um I cared for Phil, I cared for Doris, I cared for their kids. It was just a really cool idea that, that made me like this book. But 8.5 for me is quite reserved because I want to give this more, but I feel like I need to give a bit more time um, on it. So yeah, 8.5 for me. So with The Herd, they have given a total of 8.6. Add that with my uh, Scott and Shane's 8.5. That gives us, well, 8.525. I think we round down, don't we? So it's 8.5. Yes. Okay. I think we should round up just because it's my pick. And the good <laughs> <laughs> Always that... try it. Always try it just to get that top spot in. Give me an inch. Yeah. I'll take a mile. 100%. <laughs> so this see where it comes on the leaderboard, shall we? Um, it just it knocks down uh, Fantastic Four and Self Stories in the fourth spot. Sorry, that's a lie. In the third spot. Yeah. Knocking down Daredevil Born Again. Yeah. Who picked that? Hmm. Who picked Fantastic Four? And who picked Marvels? <laughs> and uh, just if you want to see the rest of the leaderboard, that's that's the uh, the drabs of what we've read this this season. Yeah, so if you're not getting a seven, you're not getting in the top ten. A middle west is gone from the top ten. Oh, so now you need a seven point one or higher to get into the top ten. Oh mm. man. What episode's this 20 something? We're, we're you know we're approaching halfway point. You have to have a good book now to get into the top ten. So for yeah, all those guys Yeah. For all you guys who uh the volunteer choices for their herd's choice, get your thing caps on if you want to be in the top ten. Up the game now. Exactly. <laughs> um so yeah, that's it. That that's Marvels. That's what we thought about it. We all enjoyed it, I think, which is a good because we had a good chat. Uh, this week, there's other stuff coming up on the channel. Uh, we have Kevin has a draw along tomorrow. How to draw Spider Man. So that'll be good. How has it taken him this long to draw Spider Man? That's crazy. <laughs> We've been waiting for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been drawing a few things recently. Well, the last thing I drew of his was The Thing. It was a few, it must have been last month for Fantastic Four. And I was really proud of that. So I might, I might draw Spidey and send him that as well. Um, this Friday as well at uh, 8 p.m. You will see my face again along with Martin and Obi and Well Highland G will be joining us for uh, what's all the only fuss about then? Uh, end of the month show where we talk about the books coming the month ahead, uh, what we've picked up, what we've read, and just general banter about comics and just being excellent as we are. Yeah. <laughs> two, two. You started the show off two in your own horn <laughs> and you end it two in your own horn. What a way to bookmark the show. I'm not going to disagree with him. I'm on it with him. So yeah. you go, Phil. 
so anyway, let's let's just let's find out what we're reading next week, then, shall we? So for all the podcast listeners, uh, next week is Dave Ockersy. Uh, Shane introduced us to the world of Dave. Uh, and then we have Dave too. And Scott picked next week. He wants to see the the end of the, the, the Dave saga. So that'll be next week. on End of the, the Dave trilogy. I'm so looking forward to this one. I am too. From what I recall, the first one I really enjoyed. The second one lacked slightly. But we find that sequels, don't we? Like volume yeah. two, you always kind of dip and then kind of picks up again for, for the third uh, the, the third volume. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, so please join I us next week. I assure you, Scotty will be masturbating to robot porn in that issue as well. <laughs> so, I mean, if you were wondering, if you were worried that Scotty wasn't going to be, you know, <laughs> fapping it to robot porn, he will be. If that doesn't make you want to read this book and join us next week, I don't know what what will. But we'll leave it on that nice positive note from us. We will see you next week and we will just get our waves out. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> <laughs>